Hi, my name is Trudy Rosquay and I am the founder of Vitality 40+. I am not only a master personal trainer specialising in women's and children's physical health, but also a menopause ambassador who is passionate about spreading the word and breaking all those mystical taboos over the M word. I have created a series of podcasts with a variety of guests, not only on women's health issues, but subjects that relate to men's health and well-being also, unlocking all the answers to questions that you may have wanted to ask, but unsure as to where to get the information. Hi, and welcome to another podcast on Vitality 40 Plus. So today I have a special guest called Alex Frankham, who I've actually known for quite a few years. Um, But her job in itself is a pelvic health physio. Um, I'm sure you'll be wondering what that is. Uh, She's been a physio for 20 years, but has specialised in this area for the last 10. Um, Works in Jersey under the performance physiotherapy but she also tutors for the UK to other physiotherapists who also want to specialise in this area. So welcome, Alex. Thank you for having me, Trudy. (laughs) No, it's great to meet up. And now we're on our social media platform rather than in face to face. Um, So 
I'm going to introduce to our listeners how we first met, well, not how we first met, but um, we actually met on a plane, but that's another thing. Um, but um, Alex has been doing some work with myself and Dr. Becky Harling in respect of the menopause forum um, and specifically looking at women's health issues during the menopause, although actually, as I soon learned, uh, it's actually during the whole of our lives from uh, probably uh, puberty to having a baby um, and then moving all the way through the sector to the 50s plus. So I suppose the first thing I actually want to ask you so you can tell our listeners what actually is pelvic health? Yeah, I mean, pelvic health is, pelvic health is huge. It is just ginormous. But if I think of it from really my perspective, pelvic health is anything that happens below the belt, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, I like that. <laughs> but um but when we say below the belt I think the thing is that people then think oh gosh it's just everything that's happening in and within the pelvis and that's all you're going to do to be fixing something but of course as you well know when we want to look at fixing problems wherever they might be in the body you have to look at the whole person the whole history it's a whole holistic field but yeah theoretically we're talking about things below the belt so we're talking about um yes we are talking about back pain and pelvic girdle pain and you know pelvis pain and musculoskeletal things that you commonly think of for physios but we're also really predominantly talking about anything that's inside the pelvis so we're talking about your bladder and any bladder issues you might have we're talking about your uterus and any kind of uterine bleeding issues you might have that are not medical specifically any vaginal issues which might include you know atrophy which we've talked about we're going to talk about that prolapse pain um, sexual dysfunction bowel dysfunction you know don't get me started on bowel dysfunction many people <laughs> think that's perfectly normal for them oh it's fine this is normal yes so so that's everything really within the pelvis which is not just specific to women predominantly women have the biggest issues with it as you say because you know we go through life having a menstrual cycle which influences things our anatomy is very different to that of a man uh, but men do have pelvic issues as well predominantly more in the older category uh, yeah so we're talking about incontinence issues bladder bladder not emptying issues prolapse um but pelvic pain is a real big issue too and sexual dysfunction and a lot of people think yeah i'm not having sex for these reasons or whatever but actually not realizing maybe there's something physical going on or a physical mental connection that they have yeah yet put their finger on I think I think you're absolutely right there. Um, and it's it's something that we're trying to break the taboo with talking about menopause. But we're also trying to break the taboo about talking about some of the symptoms of the perimenopause. And um, although I you know, I, this is such a wise subject and, you know, you handled it so beautifully at the forum. And I I'm thinking, oh, gosh, there's so many questions I want to ask you um, and to, to let our listeners know. Um, and be informed but I suppose because we're in a sort of smaller or shorter space of time so I can feel that this could be part one and we may go on to part two but looking at part one I, I think if we look at um, some of the issues you've talked about uh, with the uterus and the bladder because I think obviously when many of us and I'll put myself into that category uh, as perimenopausal the first thing that normally happens is that you need to keep running for a wee especially at night um, and and that continual feeling that um, you're not really empty and then you need to go back again, which leads into urinary conditions like cystitis or 
UTI or maybe not. So I'm going to throw those back to you now for a little for a little spiel. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And I would say that often is, you know, some of the first symptoms people might go to their GP with with recurrent urine infections or going with symptoms of recurrent urine infections. But it's maybe not. It's maybe cystitis. Um, and one of those main reasons that that starts to happen is due to vaginal atrophy and the loss of vaginal estrogen, which actually starts to happen within the urogenital tissues from age 35. So when people are then coming into their GP with all these symptoms, this has been something that's really been trickling along for quite some time. And they might have been, you know, women that have been wetting themselves a little bit here and there if they cough or sneeze and they don't go on the trampoline, but that feels normal for them, which I would going to reiterate is not normal, isn't something that we should be encouraging as normal, common, but not normal. Um, but it's those urgency up at night, desperate for the loo that they think, oh gosh, something's def definitely wrong. And, and I would really sort of iterate here and I know you've probably talked to Dr Becky Harling at length about this that topical vaginal estrogen with regards to those symptoms of bladder urgency bladder frequency is really one of the number ones you know actually we've got to start replenishing some of that vaginal estrogen which is not an HRT it's a local topical product um which is <laughs> no I'm like, I'm like Yes, I know. We need oh, to get okay, some good, more of this. <laughs> yes. No, absolutely. Vaginal estrogen is is just is so, so vital. And again, the sooner women can get started on that and have any kind of misinformation removed about the fears of using vaginal estrogen, the better. But in terms of those bladder symptoms that you describe, there's a lot of things that we can do already that really help the bladder that we might not be thinking of. You know, in terms of we're thinking about, gosh, I need to go to the toilet more frequently. Well, we know that that's due to change in the menopause, the loss of estrogen receptors. But what happens when you start to go to the toilet more frequently is your bladder, which is a vessel in itself, shrinks. So we've got, say, normal capacity bladder of what should be somewhere between four and six hundred mils. And suddenly you start going to the toilet more frequently and those volumes start becoming smaller. Then you get a bit of urgency. Oh, am I going to get there in time? Then you start mapping out the toilets wherever you go. So you're like, I'm going to take that trip to town. And let's say we're talking Jersey and you're like, OK, well, I'm going to park at Sand Street. I know there's a toilet there, but mm, public toilet might not want to use it. And then I'm going to go, I'm going to go to these shops. I'm going to go to all these different places where I know there's a toilet. And if there's not a toilet there, then women start to find that they're not going. And then they're going to do a just in case we they're going to go, I'm leaving the house, I'm going to just in case we and I'm going to get to where I'm going and I'm going to just in case we again there. Suddenly you get women coming in going, it's perfectly normal. I'm just weeing 15 times a day at volumes of maybe 100 mils, which is tiny. And then they go, I, you know, I have no idea why I'm up five times a night. <laughs> Like, I totally see that now you see that's the other thing isn't it because that 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 also is that habit um the body and you actually look at what we say to our kids before we leave uh have you been for a wee just in case you need to go before we get in the car it's kind of like you're instilling not saying that we shouldn't say that by the way because we obviously do know that what kids are like um but it is it is something that is instilled in us I want to go back a minute and I, I don't want to stop you mid-flow but I do want to go back because um I want to talk about these uh, vaginal estrogen cream. Now, we uh, interestingly have said about what we call vaginal atrophy. Um, now, the, the actual definition of atrophy is? 
it's the thinning of the tissues in the urogenital area, in particular within the vagina. And we talk about the vagina being the bit on the inside, but we're also talking about the vulva. So we're talking about the vaginal labia, the lips of the vagina, all the bits on the outside is the vulval area. And those parts of the skin. So what happens as we lose estrogen is we also start to lose our fatty deposits. Now we might be thinking, yay, I'm losing fatty deposits. That's great. <laughs> unfortunately not. <laughs> but unfortunately not, we're losing them in the wrong place. <laughs> so those fatty deposits really bulk up the tissues and they protect them and they keep them sort of lush and plump and lubricated and all those kind of things. And as we start to lose estrogen, the tissue starts to thin and the skin starts to thin and it loses its bulk and it starts to maybe even lose some of its wrinkles. And I know it's very depressing. And then you can start to get little <sighs> micro cuts, little tiny cuts that you can't really see. So if we're thinking of the urine infections, yes, we've got irritability within the vaginal wall because of loss of estrogen, but we've also got an increased risk of urine infections because the urethra, the hole which we wee from, actually starts to widen and open. So that loss in estrogen means that our wee passage opens and becomes a bit wider, which means bugs can get in more easily. Yes, we might have some of these little micro cuts there. Again, a potential site for little bugs to start getting in. And then the, the walls of the bladder themselves are just more irritable. And if we are the person we just talked about, going to the loo all the time, and now afraid of drinking, because now maybe they're leaking on the way to the loo, so they can better not drink anything. They're not filling their bladder. So their bladder isn't getting a chance to fill and then wee fully and flush away any of those little bugs that have got in there. And so these would be people who, you, you know, let's say you go for a wee and you go, it's only a tiny tinkle and it's a very strong sort of yellow yeah, colour. Yeah. yeah, Chardonnay. Not, that's, yeah, exactly. It is not... <laughs> clear flowing water and commonly you'll also be maybe that person that actually goes for a wee five minutes later or while you're washing your hands oh god I need to go for a wee again and you'll go back again and it might be just a tiny little trickle and you still don't feel satisfied and you're not satisfied because your bladder mm. hasn't had chance to fill yeah. it hasn't had chance to empty so so yes, the question was, what is atrophy? It's that thinning of the skin and we can't, you know, we can't change that without the use of topical vaginal estrogen. It's we very, can it's, influence it with that. It's very interesting, actually, because since we've had this discussion at the forum, uh, I have a group of friends. There's four of us, and we've been friends for, well, since our first born. So we're 21 years uh, this year. And um, there we were on our Saturday uh, monthly meet, um, <laughs> mother's meet, as we call it. Um, the group is still called postnatal depression. Uh, and we then find <laughs> out that... <laughs> We find out that three out of four of us have all suffered with this and nobody's mentioned it previously because we brought it up and started talking about it. It was like, oh, yeah, I've had that. Oh, yeah, I've got that. I've had to go to the doctor. Blah blah blah. And I'm like, here we go. Another taboo area that even as friends for 21 years, we've not discussed it. We've not discussed it. And then it turns out the, the, the vaginal atrophy and one was quite bad and cuts and blah, blah. So we were like, this is what needs to come out. Um, now, we know that in the UK, although I'm not sure if it has actually happened yet, that um, vaginal cream or um, estrogen based HRT cream uh, was going to become available over the counter. Has this happened in Jersey? Do you know? 
No, this has definitely not yet happened in Jersey. I don't think it has yet actually happened either in the UK, but it is in the pipeline to happen in the UK. Um, I'm not a doctor, nor am I a medical prescriber. So whilst I talk about, you know, we've talked about vagina topologies a lot, it is an area that I am extremely knowledgeable and have done a lot of CPD in, and I have done my British Menopause Society courses because I'm not a prescriber I'm not yeah. really at liberty to actually <laughs> really talk about those things but when it becomes available over the counter then effectively you are in a regard because you can say this is something you can then go and have it this here's yeah. all the information now going to speak to the pharmacist and you can buy it over the counter um but no this is not yet available in Jersey it is likely something that will be discussed I am sure but it is it is it is not yet on the agenda for that discussion but it is readily available via your GP and I think the the thing is is yeah, then it becomes on prescription and I think yeah, that's so then it's just repeats yeah. that's good Absolutely. okay so we've got now the we've talked about atrophy we've talked about which then can lead into the urinary condition so um i'll just give a little a little example here i'm nothing like putting myself forward to be um to be my whole private life (laughs) just open to the public um but i also had these urinary conditions when i was in spain but it went through phases so there was no reason and then it would start to hit that i'd try to take um sort of uh cystitis remedies and then i would do that then it would come back again and it did this for three weeks until and i was like oh but of course the spanish actually don't really believe in antibiotics where they very much when you go to the chemist they're quite like well they like here um but a step up and they say right you need to try this first but but nobody had mentioned at all to me that that could have been and of course was symptomatic of perimenopause and then and at that point i wasn't on hrt everything i did was through lifestyle so we've done those two things. Now, what else are we going to talk about today? Yeah. So keeping on with the bladder super briefly. So that, so yep. what the type of bladder issues we've just talked about would be the UTIs, but also the symptoms, what we call bladder urgency and urge urinary incontinence. So, yes, we've talked about HRT as a treatment option, but but I must have iterate that pelvic floor muscle training and appropriate bladder training is really one of the keys for treating this. And so one of the things that people can do already is if they go to a website called thepogp.co.uk, they'll get lots of good information as well from the British Menopause Society or IUGA, the International Urogynecology Association. And, um, so they will be able to find information on kind of all those different topics and maybe find some bladder diaries as well that they can fill in. But that's really the most important management is bladder training, understanding what's going on with your bladder and then doing pelvic floor muscle training in conjunction with that to help it. The other bladder issue that often comes up is an increase in stress incontinence. So stress incontinence isn't because you're anxious or strung out. I mean, you may well be. (laughs) Likely that's actually going to actually irritate the other type of bladder dysfunction. Um, But stress incontinence is a pressure related urinary incontinence. That is the leaking when you cough or sneeze or bend or lift and you will not go on that trampoline. So literally the pressure in your abdomen is bigger than the ability of your urethra to clamp shut around itself and your pelvic floor to effectively kink your garden hose. Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
goes. Oh, no, I've not heard you say that before. Kinky garden hose. Mm. Kinky garden hose. So, you know, and bear in mind, as women, our garden hose is only about four centimetres long. We need to have a pretty good pelvic floor to get that kink in really quickly when we cough or have a sudden sneeze or trip over. And that's where pelvic floor muscle training comes into its own. And if you do proper pelvic floor muscle training, and when I say proper pelvic floor muscle training, I mean, one, you need to know that you can feel it working. You can feel it, that it's isolated to the pelvic floor. We're not talking about butt clenches. You know, you'll have people coming in and we know 50% of women cannot do their pelvic floor exercises we can't see it we can't really feel it if they've had a child and they've had some damage or trauma the muscle may not actually work and so what do we do we give people a leaflet and you go here's a leaflet here's some <laughs> yeah oh my gosh and unsurprisingly people can't do it so then they will go back to their GP and go, oh, well, I've tried my Kegels. I've been doing what it says in the thing and nothing's happening. So yeah. then they might be considered referral for sort of surgery, which is definitely not the first line option. So if someone is struggling with finding their pelvic floor, knowing what's happening, not getting that feedback, then they do need to see a pelvic physiotherapist. So your first question right at the beginning, what is pelvic health? What is pelvic health physiotherapy? So this is us working in a very niche field where we know all the ins and outs of what's happening with <laughs> literally, <the pelvis>. literally. <laughs> um, and so we can really understand what's happening with you specifically one individual specifically because you can give general generic advice but that doesn't apply if that muscle then doesn't work and then then the question is well what are all the different options and things so the generic first line advice would be yeah absolutely find your pelvic floor imagine you're stopping yourself breaking wind so as women we think i'm going to do pelvic floor exercise and we think i'm going to pull in at the urethra and we're pulling at the vagina and what do we do when we do that we pull the tummy in and we probably <laughs> hold our breath don't we and absolutely if that muscle is really weak and our tummy muscles are actually stronger and we always think our oh, tummy muscles are terribly not very strong they're going to be stronger than the pelvic floor then when we lift from the front the pelvic floor is weak the tummy starts to contract and we actually start to get a bearing down so you might actually be experiencing some prolapse when you're trying oh, to pull okay. in your pelvic floor so one i would always say be brave you know never be afraid to get a mirror out and have a little look at your bits Okay, the sooner you start looking at them, the sooner you know when something changes. <laughs> oh dear, yeah. I can see everybody listening to this going, well, we better Horrified. start doing this. I'm at, at, the, at the desk. At the know. Maybe not at work. You know, <laughs> although working from home, you know, takes on a oh, whole... Oh, it could be. Variety. You don't know what I'm wearing underneath here? <laughs> but yeah but so imagining instead they've done studies on this they've done studies to look at how women should tighten their pelvic floors and we've seen it through the research that women are best imagining they're stopping themselves breaking wind tightening around the back passage the pelvic floor is a set of muscles that pulls from the back to the front and lifts up so we're kind of imagining it a little bit like an airplane taking off so we're tightening around the back we're pulling then into the vagina and then maybe we're feeling the urethral lift or maybe we're not but at least we're getting some of the undercarriage going in the right direction we're not clenching our butts we're not pulling our legs in together we're certainly not holding our breaths but you can do whatever you want with your eyebrows <laughs> 
<laughs> I love that. I love that. So, of course, I, I, I need to sort of come in here and I, I'm sure you know where I'm going with this because um, both of us are um, qualified Pilates instructors. And of course, uh, if anybody is listening to this, it may have been in my Pilates classes. They will know perfectly well that the first thing we do, we learn to zip from bum to foo inwards upwards suck it in um and then you imagine that zip moving around so i laughed when you said that because i used i haven't used the plane i haven't used a plane but mine is a definite zip mine is a definite you want to think from the back all the way around to the front squeezing inwards and then when all else fails then you want to stop yourself weeing and pooping when we're doing class because i find it's really messy if i have to clear it up afterwards so, so, everyone's worst nightmare that's the worst dream oh my gosh oh, i'm not gonna go to the class because what if i break i pass with you yeah yeah exactly i say and to I people think, do you know yeah. you, sorry i i mean i say to people all the time you know what i don't care because a chance are i'm going to be the one that does it because i've normally grabbed something really quickly to eat or drink before class then i go to demonstrate a beautiful roll up or roll down roll up and you as the air is pushed out of your belly. So um, I always say, if you're letting passing wind, that is good because you are co- contracting your stomach and your bowel and everything's working perfectly. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and you know, I've just, we talked about the zipping and the pulling in. <laughs> what, you know, the letting go of the pelvic oh. muscles, you know? <laughs> You know, maybe that's for part two, but yeah. really, really important. We can't expect a muscle to contract if we don't let it relax. And so if we go back to the person that we're thinking of with the bladder irritation, they're running to the loo all the time, maybe they're leaking. They're now pulling that pelvic floor in all the time. And they're thinking, I don't, I don't let go of it. I don't let go of it. And then they're surprised, of course, because they don't know the physiology, then they're going to leak when they cough or sneeze because that muscle is now constantly on. And if you can imagine, you know what it's like if you've done a lot of desk sitting and a lot of work and you've been under a bit of pressure and you've got that real tightness in your neck and you might get a tension headache and your neck muscles are really sore and someone comes along and presses on them and they're like, oh, it's really, really sore. And actually what we need to do is we need to work the muscles, contract them, relax them, and then the muscle starts functioning well we're encouraging circulation we're encouraging blood flow which does also a little bit help the atrophy as well all of these things all sort of come round wow. themselves don't they i feel i feel like i'm having a personal one to one session here um ladies who are listening to this because um, as I have spoken to Alex and um i am actually going through this phase at the moment whereby I'm quite stressed. And as I'm stressed, I'm actually being very aware at what's happening to my tummy, which has always been my area of weakness anyway. So um, apart from shoulders, which I'm very happy to have a massage every now and then, but um, mine has been my in my tummy. So the, the, the stress goes there. And I'm now aware that um, I'm getting that really knotted feeling in my tummy when I'm thinking, oh my God, I haven't done that. Oh God, I haven't done this. Oh, I can feel that increase. And what's happened? You're absolutely, vaginal atrophy has occurred. Um, But I also feel that I'm not relaxing or relieving properly. And now you've just said that. And of course, now it all makes sense. So ladies, if anybody is with me, um, please bear with it. But it feels like now that's all come in. So we go back to this whole holistic, sort of circle of life and it goes back to what I preach about vitality 40 plus so it's all about the four pillars of health you know if your well-being is out the chances are your health is out 
Um, and and this all comes back to exactly what you said, Alex, at the beginning, that, you know, you have to look at, you know, well, OK, if you're feeling like that, that's probably causing that. And now you're telling me you've caused that. So, yeah, I mean, you've made all sense to me. It all comes back <laughs> round, doesn't it? And one of the things I see a lot in uh, menopausal women, perimenopausal and postmenopausal women as part of the assessment, and, and you will see this, I'm sure, within your Pilates class. And, and I'm hoping now that one, all the women listening, one, they've gone and got their mirrors out to have a quick look at their vulva. Great. <laughs> or they're horrified by the entire conversation. Um, but also going to have a look in the mirror and standing and having a look at their bodies in the mirror. And you will see this, this kind of increased stress, increased tension. What do we see? We see this line, don't we? underneath the rib cage of the drawing in where that diaphragm yeah. is also being kind of gripped and held and people are then breathing from the shoulders, shoulders yeah. and they're gripping from their tummy because everything's sort of getting tight and they're getting a bit stressed and they're gripping or they're trying to sort of hold in their tummy and they're gripping from their tummy and what do we see instead we see this little ballooning below the belly button instead the pressure has to go somewhere the pressure goes down and actually one of the first things we need to do and you will do this with your zip and zip and pulling mm -hmm. in is getting that diaphragmatic breathing happening first mm -hmm. so we've got this lovely coordination of the two of them because again one of the reasons why people don't have success with kegels per se when they get them for the leaflet is because everything else in the whole system just needs a little bit of extra understanding and looking at so have a look in the mirror when you get home or wherever you are have a look and just see do I have a crease underneath my ribs in my abdomen where maybe I'm gripping onto that tummy a little bit and actually I need to be focusing a little bit more on my breath work and on my breathing and that is a huge part of what you do. Oh, that's perfect. Actually, I wish you could all see uh, Alex now because she has been standing up and demonstrating that on the podcast. Um, so um, <laughs> uh, we, we may we may show the uh, may show the screened version of that so you could get a good definition. So we've done now we're on this on the, our final straight here. So what have we done? So we've done atrophy. We've done bladder control. Um, where are we going to go for our final pointer today? Yeah. So bowels we need to move into, but let's go prolapse. Let's go pro. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Good idea. 50% so of women will have a pelvic organ prolapse. And one of the things that is the scariest, I think, is that when people experience first know that they've got a prolapse, let's most people actually walking around, maybe even not knowing they've got a prolapse. Now, not necessarily a terribly bad thing, because it's not a problem if it's not symptomatic. It's not causing you symptoms, um, then it's not a bother. Now, what would symptoms be? People are probably thinking, well, what are those symptoms? One, the feeling of something in the vagina, like that feeling of a tampon slipping down. You know, that feeling, oh, there's something just this, this there. I don't know what, what's going on. Or it could feel like a dragging or a heaviness, both either within the vagina or within the lower tummy, a bit like maybe a period cramp, like just this dragging, heavy, uncomfortable. They might also be experiencing that in their lower back, a dragging, a heaviness, a discomfort. And of course, everyone's walking around thinking, oh, just a bit of back pain. Everyone's got a bit, I'm sitting at my desk a long time. And actually, maybe actually that's more a prolapse 
or they're not emptying their bladder completely. Why am I going back and forth to loo all the time? My bladder's not emptying. Why am I having difficulty emptying my bowels? Why am I having to strain to push to push to empty my bowels? Maybe they're having to to what we call digitate, which is actually use some some hand or finger support to help empty their bowels. Maybe their bowels are really not emptying very well. So those are the things that we're thinking about when we're thinking about symptoms of prolapse. But going back to say 50% of women have a prolapse, if they know they've got a prolapse, then they can start doing the things to protect it. You know, no, we're not necessarily going to reverse our tissues back to when we were 16, ideally. <laughs> yeah. but, um, but, you know, we can make sure we've got good bladder function, good fluid intake, good dietary habits good bowel management and then yes again doing a good appropriate pelvic floor muscle training program because we see in the research that if you've got a prolapse and you do a good appropriate 16 week pelvic floor muscle training program we can reduce that prolapse by a degree or so and we don't want to be rushing people off for surgical interventions because that is has significant challenges as well we want to look at conservative management and that starts with firstly knowing what's going on and then when we talk about prolapse, prolapse could be of the front wall of the vagina, also known as a sister seal or called a bladder. Often people might say bladder prolapse. It's where the okay. bladder and the wall of the vagina at the front where the bladder is, is falling inwards and downwards. Or it could be a uterine prolapse where the uterus itself is dropping down into the vagina. And if someone's had a hysterectomy, that can still happen. So the roof can still fall down, even though they've Crikey. had a hysterectomy. Oh, wow. So again, people might be thinking, oh, I've had a hysterectomy. That doesn't apply to me. Oh, absolutely. Yes, it does. Because awesome. we have some really key ligaments that are attached to our cervix that hold everything up. And if we've had that removed, crikey, we really want to work on that pelvic floor to really start supporting everything or it could be a back wall prolapse or posterior wall prolapse or rectocele which is the wall against the bowel and the rectum falling into the vagina now I think one of the things that I see is that people will notice a lump they'll have felt it in the shower or they'll feel it and and the first thing is they're scared understandably I've got cancer mm. and some people might then rush to the GP it's not often it's not it's not uncommon for it to be the opposite. That fear means yeah, that hide they, it. they hide yeah. it. Absolutely. And then eventually, when they finally sort of end up coming around to say, see me or one of my colleagues as physiotherapists, then it's just that relief. Oh my gosh, I thought it was something serious. I've seen my GP. I've been referred to you. I now know it's not serious. I now know what I need to do to help manage it the symptoms suddenly start improving, they're okay. doing something in the right way, and then, you know, all that fear and worry just disappears. That's interesting, isn't it? Because um, you're, you mentioned there, I mean, you've just sort of been able to define each one, but I don't think I would come to a physiotherapist straight away. Um, you, would, you would obviously go to your doctor to get diagnosed. Um, would he be able to diagnose you from a... Um, a normal sort of examination or would he send be sending you to somewhere in the hospital to be done or yeah we, do you know that's a really really good question Trudy and I think that's I think that's the best question I would say if someone ever notices a lump or something sinister that GP is the first port of call because you we don't know what that no means, no no right you know so I think always 
always GP, unless it's something that you know about, in which case, you know, people can refer directly to physiotherapy without going to their GP. But if there's ever any, any concern, always GP first line. The GP really is, is there to basically, again, check there's nothing sinister going on. That's their job. And then refer in the direction of, of what's needed. Now, National Institute of Clinical Excellence guidelines, the guidelines that we follow in, in the United Kingdom, including sort of Channel Islands, overseas territory would be then conservative management so it would not be referral directly often to gynecology it might be depending on depending on where you are and GP preference and you know often if you've got medical hist medical um, insurance as well then mm. that's you know then actually what a great resource then you can go and see a gynecologist and get a full assessment there too but then you'll be often referred straight into physiotherapy and that's you know through the public health service or private practice. And there it's really in the physiotherapy that actually you'll be getting that more official diagnosis of actually what's going on, a proper thorough assessment of what's going on, why, how, what's gonna be the appropriate management for that person. Because everyone is gonna be slightly different, isn't it? Yes, of course. And, uh, you know, I, I'm assuming that um, when they when the doctors, if, if we just go through the non-insurance route, that the doctor does an examination, they might be able to say, oh, yeah, well, it's not A, B and C, but you do need to see um, a specialist referral physiotherapist who will be able to help you in this matter. Um, I normally get quite a few people as well that have contacted me through um, saying oh, I've got a prolapse. And I have had to say, look, you know what kind of prolapse and who have you been to see and what's happened because you know I'm sort of like the treatment I'm the sticking plaster well, I'm not the sticking plaster but I am the last the last stop I'm hoping that by then somebody you have actually got expert advice and you have seen what you're doing because obviously it's a, a whole yeah. thing to look at absolutely and and Pilates is awesome and I think as a Pilates instructor specifically you mm. will have people come to you oh I think I've got this and you know if they've been to their GP and they've been referred to a pelvic health physio and I think this is this is you know the specifics of pelvic health physio please don't go and see just any physiotherapist um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're not going to look at that are they they're, they're just not going to look, look at that. that for you no and and this is where you know the special interest group the pelvic obstetric and gynecological physiotherapy in the UK you know all countries are different but we're very very lucky in the UK that we've got this big special interest group where we've got a sort of a criteria and a protocol being able to find physiotherapists there's a directory on their website to find a physiotherapist to find someone who is appropriately trained in this field so that they can then you know assess you really appropriately and then give you the right up-to-date evidence-based approach and it may well be you know no then you're not going to whip off to the pelvic health physiotherapist they're going to say yep you've got this prolapse and I'm going to fix it you know we're not in the business of fixing things we're in the business of improving modifying making things work to the best of their functional ability and so they may well then still come along to the pilates class won't they and say actually i've got a i've got a prolapse and you'll just modify things appropriately but you know that they've been seen or they'll come along and go oh god i've never spoken to anyone about it before ever and then you'll go okay right well you need to go yeah. speak to gp and ask for a referral to physiotherapy yes absolutely because you know, sometimes that gp might be oh it's not that bad the gp might not always necessarily examine but so long as they can be directly referred to pelvic health physiotherapy then you're going in the right direction 
Well, look, that's absolutely brilliant. I can just see us coming around to the end of time. I know we've not even spoken about the bell as yet. Um, so I feel a part two is definitely on the cards for this one because I know that there's so many things there and the things I've learned completely different. So, um, but before we go on this one, Alex, I want you to take or to give to our listeners three take home tips that you can recommend about improving your pelvic health. Yeah, good. good. This is great, Trudy. And I, you know, we've sort of dived right into the anatomy and the physiology of things. But my first take home is for anyone listening is that one, you're worthy of going to get things looked at and checked and starting to look after yourself. It takes women through research, we know this seven to 10 years to go to their GP with symptoms of bladder or bowel or pelvic organ prolapse issues because they're embarrassed. And, you know, don't wait that long. The sooner you get something sorted or worked on, the better, which comes on to my second take home. Those small changes that you make in your lifestyle, drinking more fluid, eating the right dietary inputs, starting to do those little bits of exercise starting to do those little pelvic floor exercise that seems so they seem so little don't they they're not going to do anything surely that's not going to do anything but over time little things start to have a snowball effect and make a big difference and then the third take home is doing your pelvic floor exercises is not just for christmas it is something <laughs> that you want to be doing <laughs> every day and yeah everyone goes it's rest of my life and I'm like yes unfortunately and fortunately it is for the rest of your life and it's not hard it doesn't take very long and there are some really great resources such as the squeezy app which people can download that guides people through it that sets them reminders and most people just ignore the reminders but at least it sits there as a reminder of oh yeah I better do that I better do my my zipping and my pulling in I better just do something <laughs> something is better than nothing something is always better than nothing isn't it Trudy so oh, those are my take absolutely yeah. brilliant One, absolutely brilliant yeah yep Two, small things make a big difference. And three, please do your pelvic floor exercises. And if you don't know how to do them, then please see a pelvic health physiotherapist. I think that's absolutely brilliant. And, and again, one of my little take home tips from the uh, Pilates is, you know, this Pilates is not an hour a week. You know, this is not about no. coming it's in, doing the class yeah. and just changing up. I said, um, if I try to change anything, I say, look, you know, think about it. Everything that you do, whether you're making a cup of tea, squeeze, zip. Uh, if you're sitting down and I'm, I don't know how many times I've squeezed and zipped whilst we've been talking. So I'm really impressed that I've done my pelvic floor today. Um, but to always be aware that, you know, you need to be uh, thinking about your normal common day. So if you're at the, if you're going to the photocopier, just do it then. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. Or anything that you're doing in your normal life, just remember cleaning your teeth. Cleaning your teeth is a good one. Clean your teeth. Cleaning your pull. teeth is a great one. Exactly. And there is always, you know, there is always, it takes 90 seconds. Yeah. You know? I don't, you don't want to leave them switched on. Let it go. Let it go. Let it no, go. I don't want to sing. <laughs> Your singing is better than mine. Um, uh, well, listen, that's absolutely wonderful. Um, I will be back. 
I think that's what Arnie said. Um, in respect of uh, coming back to talk more about bowels and opening of bowels, because I think that's another area that we really need to be able to talk about much more freely. Um, but in the meantime, thank you so much, Alex. Really appreciate it. Loves hearing you talk. Honestly, you make things so funny. Um, <laughs> and uh, catch up soon. Thank you for having me, Trudy. Take care, everyone. Cheers. Bye. Bye. For more information on the topic that you've just listened to, please visit my website, www.vitality40plus.com. Thanks for listening.